all to all of our moms this morning. We want to take a moment of pause and say thank you. Happy Mother's Day. Will all our moms please stand this morning? Can we just, I know, I, love, I, I, I saw the head drop, Chris. <laughs> thank you. We honor you this morning. Thank you. What a, what a, what a privilege it is to, um, I, I can imagine, to be a mom, but also to be uh, the child, right, of a mom. There's nothing like that loving, affectionate care. And so, Mom, happy Mother's Day. My wife is, my wife is celebrating Mother's Day home with the flu. And so, yeah, but uh, tuning in online. But we're so glad to be able to celebrate with you today. Uh, one of the many traditions we have here at Integrity, we've been doing it for years, is after the service, we have a very special Mother's Day um, table set up for you in the cafe area. And so we want to encourage you uh, moms to go and serve yourself to maybe a upgraded uh, breakfast this morning. And then um, before everybody attacks it, let's make sure our moms get to it first. And uh, we just want to take that time to celebrate um, with you. Um, so in honor, honor of Mother's Day, I want to kind of uh, zoom in on one of the, the many godly women in the Bible. There are so many women in the scriptures that we can draw so much um, uh, wisdom from, so much from their example, uh, so many role models for each and every one of us. And um, this one that we're going to consider this morning was not a great uh, political leader. Um, she didn't possess a ultra-charismatic uh, personality. Um, she was, however, something really nice to look at. Um, by American standards, using American ter terminology, she was a knockout. Uh, she was someone who was, who was super pretty, and uh, she, she was so pretty, in fact, she was chosen um, to be uh, the queen of Persia because of her beauty. Anybody want to take a stab at who we're talking about this morning? Yeah, we're talking about Queen Esther uh, this morning. This Jewish girl, this young Jewish girl, um, as beautiful as she was, was so much more than just a pretty face. And it's that, that's actually the title of my message this morning, so much more than just a pretty face. And I want to kind of take a look at this narrative that we see in the book that bears her name, Esther, and to see the fingerprints of God, how he operates in and through this woman, but amongst his people. And I think uh, by the end of this story, we'll get an idea of, uh, and reminded of how faithful and how good uh, God is in each and every one of our, our lives this morning. So if you have your Bible with you, you can turn with me or look above. Um, we're going to kind of do a brief survey of this book together. We want to welcome those who have tuned in online and thank you for uh, joining with us uh, this morning. The book opens up in the midst of a party that's being thrown by King Ahasuerus. Um, he had invited all of his officials, his servants, his nobles, and princes to be in attendance um, and the reason for this big party he was having is he wanted to kind of show off all of his possessions because he was one of those guys that like, if you got it, flaunt it. And so he was looking for an opportunity to kind of show everybody what he owns. Look at verse uh, uh, four of chapter one. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and the pomp of his greatness for many days, in fact, 180 days, you've got some stuff if it takes you 180 days to display it, right? 
And when these days were completed, the, the king gave, all, uh, gave for all the people a present in Susa, the Citadel, both great and small, a feast that lasted for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Imagine the scene with me for a moment. 180 days of displaying all of the things that this king um, uh, held in his possession. And obviously he was just, you know, everybody was like ooing and eyeing at this guy as he was presenting all of the things that he owned. And then he ends it with this seven day feast. At this feast, they had the finest of of linens. They fastened uh, these linens to a marble curtain rod now, that might not sound like a big deal to us, but to back then, that was a seriously big deal, right? They had couches that were made of gold. I can't imagine it was very comfortable, but that was what, but they had it, right? Couches of gold and silver. They served drinks and golden vessels, and they served the finest of wine. I mean, so what's the picture here? This is no ragtag feast, right? This was like, they didn't just go do takeout. They, they went big on this party, and they are doing this now for seven days, But it's very interesting, something that verse 9 points out, that while this huge feast is going on with with the king and all of the men, we see here in verse 9 of chapter 1, Queen Vashti, his wife, also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to the king. There's no mention of splendor. There's no mention of the finest amenities. just says that she had a feast as well. However, something very interesting happens here in verse 10 and 11. Verse 10 and 11 tell us that, that the heart of the king was merry, in fact, very merry with wine. He was hammered, right? He was drunk at this point. I mean, seven days of feasting, right? He's a bit hammered. And then on top of that, he's like, you know, he's displaying all of his stuff. And hey, let's drink to this and let's drink to that. And I mean, he is hammered at this point. After having shown all of his great possessions, he, in his drunken stupor, thought it would be fun to put on display one more of his wonderful possessions, something else that he owned. And yeah, you know it. He calls for his wife to show the guys his ultimate possession. Verse 11 says, he calls him to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Ladies, imagine being put on display by your husband on call in front of a bunch of drunken men. Vashti wasn't happy about it. I venture to believe neither would you be, right? Something must have happened in this other feast. While, while these guys are feasting over here and the ladies are feasting over here, something must have happened in that feast that Vashti was hoping. Picture it with me. In one, of the, in, in one part of the palace, the men are, are having their party and, and they have the finest of foods and it's going on. They're drinking and, and partying and, and they've got everything going on for seven days long. And in another portion of the palace... There's another gathering of women. We don't know exactly who it is, but I mean, it would make sense that it's probably the wives of all the guys who are at this big shinding, wherever it's being held in the palace. And I got to believe that, you know, people don't change very much. I'm sure there was a lot of chatter going on amongst the women about what's going on on the other side with the king and his people. 
You see, somebody must have got a hold of King or Queen Vashti's ear and said something along the lines of, are you really going to put up with this? Do you know what's going on over there? Who does he think he is? I mean, I can only imagine the conversation. I'm getting in trouble here. I can only imagine the conversation that's taking place with a group of ladies when their husbands are out partying for seven days. I've got a feeling that the conversation um, was, was um, very um, antagonistic, right? I'm sure it wasn't like they were just so happy the guys were getting together. And then at this moment, right, he calls upon his possession. Because that was the purpose of this. This was to display possessions. And then in this act of putrid disgust, he decides he's just going to display his wife like one of his possessions. He calls to the queen, and the queen refuses to come. Think of it. I mean, the king is trying to impress his guests with his wife, and his, his wife refuses to come when he calls. Right? The men begin to challenge the king. And they begin to inform him how out of line she is. Are you really going to put up with that, king? We know who wears the robes in that home. Right? You call your wife to show, and she doesn't come. Hey, king, what are you going to do about this? And the men begin to challenge him. And so, to make a long story short, he removes Vashti as queen, and they begin a hunt of sorts for this new queen, but it can't be just any queen. We need to install the most beautiful woman in all of the land. I mean, this guy was about as deep as branch water, right? I mean, this is all that mattered here. Let's just get the most beautiful woman in all of the land. And so at the advice of his friends, a royal decree goes out that they are to search all of Persia for the most stunning woman to be installed as queen. Now enters Esther. Raised by her uncle Mordecai, she is Jewish by birth, and she's cautioned by her uncle not to reveal the fact that she is Jewish. And what ends up being the first beauty contest recorded in, the, in a manner of a modern-day TV reality show, Esther is paraded before the king to see if she is chosen. Woman after woman after woman is brought before the king, and Esther is now brought before the king. What's the outcome? Verse 17 of chapter 2, and the king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. I'm so glad that that story didn't end right there. That would just suggest that, that really that, that there's far more value on beauty than, than meets the eye. And, and, and so thankfully it doesn't end there. The story, that in fact is just the beginning. The beauty in fact was just a tool to get in motion what God is going to do. One day while in the courts, so she is queen at this point. One day while in the courts, Mordecai, her uncle, hears about two of the king's servants and they're talking and they're talking about taking out the king. They want to kill the king. And Mordecai, her uncle, hears this. And so he goes to Esther and says, hey, listen, just so you know, I heard so-and-so talking about a plot to kill the king. 
And they, and they go and they find out that this is in fact true and she tells the king about it. And these guys are put to death and, and, they are, and, they are, and, and the king obviously is spared. And this story is, that took place, this, this setup, takes, is written in the Chronicles, the history of what was going on. Now, it's very important to remember that. We're going to put that on the shelf over here. We'll pull it back out later on. But Mordecai is the one that really uh, I recognized this, this plot, tells Esther, Esther tells the king, and the plot is foiled. The next character in our story is the number two man next to the king, a man by the name of Haman. Like the king, he is as deep as branch water. He is power hungry. He is self-serving. And he demanded the respect of others. Wasn't looking to earn it, just wanted and demanded the respect of others. In fact, it was decreed that when Haman would walk by, that a subject would bow in respect to him. Because Haman kind of liked this kind of a thing, right? He needed to be acknowledged. Clearly, he was an extremely insecure person who needed to get that affirmation by everybody. So as soon as he walked in the room, I heard a vice president wanted something like that too, but um, that's a different subject for a different day. But um, he wanted to make sure that as soon as everybody, as soon as he walked in the room, everybody would bow. And Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him. And this infuriated him. It just, and, and, and it, would, it, would, it would begin to fuel, right? In fact, it infuriated him so much that he sought to kill Mordecai. But he realized, I couldn't, he can't just kill Mordecai because Mordecai was a Jew and it would become a real problem. And so he has this brainstorm of an idea. Instead of killing Mordecai, let's wipe out all the Jews. Let's set a decree and kill all the Jews. You know, it's very interesting that this plot to kill and take out God's people goes all the way back. All right, it continues to this day, this desire to wipe out the Jews. And so in chapter three and verse eight, Haman appeals to the king to have this, this unruly Jewish race killed for their defiant disrespect to the king's decree. Hey, king, you don't realize how defiant this group of people is. And you know what? If you don't deal with it, it's going to continue all throughout the land. Let's just completely wipe out the Jewish race. And the king agrees to the decree and, set, and it set forth that on the 13th day of the 12th month that every man, woman, and child of the Jewish people was going to be put to death. Could you imagine that? This is a matter of historical fact. This isn't just a Bible story. This is, this, is, this is historical fact. Obviously, this creates quite a stir among the Jewish people. And we find Mordecai as close up to the king's gate as he's allowed to go. And he's obviously distressed. He's mourning for his people. He's in sackcloth and ashes, a, a, just a, a visual sign of one who is pleading to God, praying for the deliverance of his people. And he sends word by way of the, to the king by way of the eunuch the eunuchs to Esther to send a message on behalf of the Jewish people. And she wants Esther to go to the king and spare the people. But the problem is, and what, what Esther responds and says, you don't understand, it, 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 I, I, need, uh, I haven't seen the king in the last 30 days. And see, the, it wasn't like a queen could just walk in and speak to the king. You didn't just, you had to be asked for. Aren't you glad times have changed, right? Could you, guys, could you imagine trying to pull that off at home? I didn't call you. I'm watching the Yankee game. 
Bop! Right? Or I'm going to make you something while you enjoy that Yankee game. A little poison here. But no. So she's like, I haven't even seen the king in 30 days. And if I just walk in and he doesn't want to see me, he can have me put to death. And, but if I do walk in and he raises his scepter, it acknowledge, he acknowledges he wants to see me and I can come in. And so her concern is, I don't know if this is going to work. What if he doesn't want to see me? I can die in the process. And this gets, this gets back to Mordecai, her, her, her concern. And he sends one more charge to Queen Esther. And he says, just, just consider this. Let me read about it in verse 13 of chapter 4. Then Mordecai told them to reply this to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all of the other Jews. If you keep, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And those famous words... And who knows whether you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, Esther, you need to step up to the plate. Esther, you need to realize, hey, if we go down, you're going down with us. It's only a matter of time before they discover you're a Jew as well. And so if we go down, you're going down as well. But Esther, Esther, maybe there's a bigger plan here. Esther, maybe you're not in the palace just because of your beauty. Maybe, just maybe, Esther, you've been brought into the kingdom and into the palace for such a time as this. Maybe this is the reason. Hey, moms, can I just pause there for a moment and acknowledge that sometimes being a mom could be a thankless job? I know many wonder, am I making the impact that I really need to make? Am I doing everything right? Why aren't my kids responding like other kids? Does it really matter? Can I just present these encouraging words that Uncle Mordecai extended to Esther? Who knows whether you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe the plan is bigger than your vision. Maybe you're not looking far enough down the road as to what God may be doing and you're coming to the wrong conclusions because of limited vision, limited sight. God is using you in the life of that person, that whether it's a child or an older, uh, uh, or an older child, you never stop being a mom. You never stop challenging. You never stop investing, right? You just come up with more creative ways to do it so you're not a bother to them, right? But don't, overestimate, under, don't ever underestimate the influence that you have on your child. That's all Esther needed to hear, right? She, she realized that, that her position was not given to her by chance, and she was going to take advantage of this opportunity that was before her. And she was willing to pay the ultimate price as she declares, if I perish, I perish. I recognize that, yes, you're right, you're, Uncle Mordecai, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I'm not here because I'm just a pretty face. There's something bigger going on here. And hey, if I perish, I perish. What a great example for us to learn from. 
I mean, this was a woman who was, who was all in on the purposes of God. She looked past her own inconveniences and the dangers that it might present to her, and she was more concerned about what God was doing, and she declared, hey, if I perish, I perish, but I'm going to serve the purposes of God. Esther gets all dolled up, and she approaches the king. If the king gets angry as she enters in, she will be put to death. But if he raises the scepter in her, in her direction, she will live and she will have an audience with the king. Esther chapter 5 and verse 1 says, On the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne and inside, inside the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. And then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you even up to half the kingdom. How many of you know she must have looked pretty good, right? She must have made quite an impression. Clearly, God was moving on his heart, right? But, but clearly, I mean, she's hoping she's not being put to death. And he says, hey, whatever you want up to half the kingdom. He, she had his attention, right? The king asked Esther what she wants, and she very wisely asks, you know, what I'd like to do is I'd like to have a very small banquet. Just you and me and Haman, the guy who hates the Jews. The king grants the request, and Haman is feeling pretty important. I mean, of all the people in the land, the queen wants to have an order. Now, he doesn't, Haman doesn't know that Mordecai is her uncle, right? He doesn't know that she's a Jew. He just realized, hey, I must be something special. Of all the requests she can make, she wants to have a special banquet with the king and I. A private banquet. I can't wait to update my Facebook profile with that picture, right? While this is going on, Haman is becoming more and more incensed with Mordecai. And more than that, his, this, this refusal of Mordecai to bow to him, that he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a gallows pole. And I'm going to ask the king to have Mordecai hanged on this gallows pole as an example to all the Jews. You don't defy and disrespect me. But God clearly has a different plan. You see, the night before the banquet, I just love how God just jumps in to the scene here. The night before the banquet, the king is having a difficult time sleeping. And he put his music on, it didn't work. He listened to a couple podcasts, it didn't work. He did everything he possibly could to try and fall asleep. He couldn't fall asleep. So he decides, what I'm going to do is, let me go find some, read some of the chronicles, some of the history of what's taking place in the kingdom. And as he is reading through the Chronicles, remember I mentioned earlier that Mordecai is the one that exposed this plot that took place in, in the kingdom, these two guys who were going to take out the king? 
Well, they wrote about that in the Chronicles. And now here is the king. He's unable to sleep. And he realizes that he reaches for the Chronicles. And he's reading about this plot that he obviously wasn't even aware of that Mordecai had foiled. And he realizes no reward has been given to him. No honor has been bestowed upon him. No thank you has been extended to him. Look at verse 3 of chapter 6. And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. And the king said, Well, who's in the court right, right now? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. Just love the irony of that. Mordecai's like thinking, I'm going to come in and I'm going to, tell you, I'm going to talk about getting, I mean, uh, Haman's talking about getting Mordecai hanged and the king at the same time is talking about how are we going to honor Mordecai? And the king's young men told him that Haman is there, he's standing in the front court and the king says, well, let him come in. So Haman came in and the king said to him, what should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman's like, finally, somebody realizes. Somebody's looking to finally acknowledge me. I mean, it makes sense. I'm coming to this private banquet with Esther and the king. What should be done to the man who the king delights to honor? And Haman said to him, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? He said to himself, who would the king like to honor more than me? And Haman said to the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought to him, which the king has worn. In other words, make me like you, right? And the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set, and let the robe and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials, and let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead me, I mean, let them lead him on the horse, right, through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus it shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. I mean, he's thinking, what's the best way to finally get what I think I deserve? Here's how we can go about this, because clearly Haman thinks that the king is thinking about him. And man, put, put your crown on him, put your robes on him, put your, let him ride on your king, and on your, on your horse, and declare to all the people, thus it shall be done for the one who honors the king. And the king said to him, hurry. And now you can see Haman's heartbeats getting like, he's like, oh, this is, this is really happening, right? Hurry, take the robes and take the horse just as you have said and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate and make sure you leave out nothing that you've mentioned. And so Haman, he takes the robe and the horse and he dressed 
Mordecai, would you have loved to have been a fly in that wall? Like, let me button that for you really tight. Like, you know, right? Let me dress you and get you ready to go, right? And he says, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, thus it shall be done to the man, who should have been me, thus it shall be done to the man who the king delights to honor. And then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning and with his head covered. I'm sure that was the longest day of his life. He was mourning, and you better believe he was mourning. I mean, talk about having to swallow your pride. He runs home and he tells his wife all that had happened. And her words to him are, you're in trouble. She informs him that if the guy who was about to ask the king, if the guy who you were about to ask the king to hang has found favor in the sight of the king, you're as good as dead because this is all going to be found out. Just as she says that, there's a knock on the door. And it's the, the king's men coming to pick up Haman for this special banquet that's to take place between the king and Esther and Haman. They are here, and they are picking him up. Look what takes place. And I just lost my spot. Which I love when that happens, right? Awkward. <laughs> so just as, they, just as those words are coming out of his mouth, obviously the, the, they come and they, they come to pick up him. And, they're, they're, and then here they are, right? It's just, it's just the three of them. And they're having, uh, they're having a nice special meal that was, um, you probably love that that just happened, Pastor Dominic, didn't you? <laughs> In a good way, in a fun kind of way, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so they're having this very special dinner, right? This very special meal. And, and, and so they begin to, they begin to talk. And, and so Esther asks, the king asks Esther one more time what she wants up to half the kingdom. And listen to her request. The queen asked, the queen, and queen Esther, queen Esther answered and said, If I found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my let my life be granted me for my wish, and my people for my request. Let my life be spared. Let my people be spared. She says, For we, we've been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have been silent, for our affliction is not to be compared with the loss to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? Who has dared to do this? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. And Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. Verse 7 says, And the king arose in his wrath from the wine drinking 
and went into the palace of the guard. So I, this guy clearly had a drinking problem, by the way. I mean, it just seems like every time we're reading about the king, he's a little bit hammered, right? And so, and, 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 and it's interesting how it is, it, it, they don't leave out the connections, right? He, they, that he arose in his wrath from the wine drinking. In other words, he was a little bit ticked off, but because he had been drinking so much, it was like he was extremely ticked off. And he went into the palace garden But Haman stayed to beg for his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that harm was determined against him by the king. And the king returned from the palace garden to the place where they were drinking wine as Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was. Now you got to picture the scene here. So he's probably he's probably begging right Esther to you know get him off the hook. He's falling on the couch, and the king walks in. He doesn't think that he's begging Esther. He thinks he's making a move on Esther. And so if the king was a little bit upset, he's irate at this point. And he says, and the king said, "Will he even assault the queen?" In my presence, in my own house, as the word left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. Then Horbana, one of the eunuchs in attendance of the king, said, Moreover, the gallows that Haman had prepared for Mordecai, whose word saved the king, it's standing right over by Haman's house. It's 50 cubits high. And the king said, Hang him on it. Hang him. Haman on it. And so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And the wrath of the king was satisfied. Wow. You talk about irony. You talk about God orchestrating circumstances to accomplish his plans and purposes. I want to point out a couple of things here. Esther, he obviously, Esther pleads with the king and the decree is rescinded and the Jewish people are spared because of a queen who is so much more than a pretty face. What do we see woven all throughout this narrative? A couple of things I want to highlight to you. Number one, we can't miss the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is woven all throughout this, this, this story, this, this, this whole experience. We see the fingerprints of God. Chuck Swindoll points out in his book on Esther that, that although Shakespeare never physically appears in his place, his presence is pervasive. Every act, every scene, every line of dialogue bears the imprint of Shakespeare's pen. He is the genius behind all of the characters, each twist of plot and every poignant ending, says Chuck Swindoll. In the same way, the book of Esther, interestingly, is the only book that does not make mention of the name of God in it. It's never even mentioned. However, like a, like a Shakespearean play, the fingerprints of God are all over the story. We cannot escape the sovereign hand of a God who ordained the birth of this Jewish girl. He ordained the time that she would be born, the location she would be born, the look of the girl. He ordained all of that for such a time as this. One cannot overlook God working in the background and and keeping the king awake and allowing him to reach for the book of Chronicles to discover this plot that was foiled, to want to celebrate Mordecai who was less than hours away of being hanged by the request of Haman. Only God 
can rescue even in those last moments. Why did all this happen? Because God had a sovereign plan for the people of God. This wasn't about the story of Esther. This wasn't about the story of Mordecai. This wasn't even the story about the Jewish people. This is about what God is doing. This is God's story. He is the hero in this. He is the champion. This is his story. And his in, in every, appear, every appearance of a setback in this story is nothing but a tool in the hands of a sovereign God. And I think, I think we can learn something from that. Because there are setbacks that come into our life. There's things that we would wish that we wouldn't have to experience and things that, that we wonder, God, are you really aware of what's going on right now? I'm sure as Haman was grieving and, 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 and sitting in sackcloth and ashes by the, by the king's gate, he was probably wondering, God, what are you going to do? And you know what? Maybe that's been your, your cry. Maybe you've come, what, what are you doing? Why, when, how, when are you going to step in? Listen, God is never late and he's never early, but he's always right on time. And when you don't see what God is doing, it doesn't mean that God's not at work. Amen? And that's the second point. Just because you don't see what God is doing doesn't mean he's not at work. Don't get distracted by the immediate and miss the long-term. Don't get distracted by the immediate and miss the long-term. As Isaiah declared, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are transcendent over our thoughts. I don't know about you, but I don't want to serve a God that I can figure out. I don't want to serve a God that I understand and agree with every one of his ways because that would really bring God down to a level that God doesn't belong in. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are transcendent over our thoughts. And so when I don't understand what God is doing, I embrace the fact that he is all-knowing and everything God does is right and in accordance with his perfect plan and will. Just because we don't see God at work doesn't mean he's not doing something. Number three, don't minimize the role that God allows you to play. Don't minimize the role that God allows you to play. It may have appeared that Esther was only there because of her beauty. That's what the king saw. That's what the people saw. Perhaps that's even what Esther saw. But what God saw was far more than just a pretty face. Esther didn't see it at first. She began to question she didn't know if she was up to the task. But opportunities and trials and setbacks have a great way of revealing what's on the inside, doesn't it? How many of you have gone through things that you look back and think, I never thought I'd make it through it. The thing that I feared the most came upon me, and you know what? I'm still okay. Why? Because God knows how to carry us through those times. And Esther, I'm sure, probably wondered. I mean, she said, hey, if I perish, I perish. I don't know how this is going to turn out. She probably didn't know what she was capable of, but God gave her an opportunity, and the opportunity revealed that she was a woman of courage. She was a godly woman. She was a woman of wisdom. She was caring. She was just the kind of leader 
to deliver the Jews that God raised up for such a time as this. Don't define yourself by your self-imposed limitations or your failures. Nothing will paralyze the forward movement of God in your life than your limited perception of yourself. Don't rule out what God can do in you. All of, the, all of your yesterdays are making you what you are today so God can be glorified in and through your life. Don't define yourself by your self-imposed limitations or your failures. God can do extraordinary things through a life that is fully surrendered to him. That's what we saw in Esther. Make her, may her example challenge us to live like she lived, to the glory of God doing what was right and saying, hey, if I perish, I perish. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have raised us just like Esther. You've placed us in this time in history for such a time as this. You've placed us where we are, with who we are, surrounded by who we're with, for plans and purposes that go beyond our own understanding. Lord, may we as your people pursue the plan and purposes of God for our life right here, right now. Lord, recognizing that it's not by our ability that we're going to accomplish anything, but it's on our dependence upon your ability and what you can do in us and through us. God, we thank you for that. I pray your blessing on each and every person here today. God, I pray that, uh, Lord, we would see ourselves as you see us and that, Lord, you'd be glorified in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.